chapter 3, and we'll look at verse 13. That's 2 Thessalonians 3.13, another brief verse, and it reads as follows. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Amen. Now, let me just offer a couple of uh, explanations here. Number one, um, we, are, we will continue in the book of James when we return from vacation, but I didn't want to start chapter 5 and then have a month delay before we got to the next section. But secondly, as I was praying over the week in terms of what to preach instead of continuing in James, uh, this particular verse struck me because it really kind of fleshes out and sort of undergirds what we addressed last week in James 4.17 about doing good. So therefore, I felt this would be a good bookend to what we looked at in James 4, uh, 17. And as such, what I want to do, we'll look at four things, but the first one, as as a way of building a bridge between the passage in James 4, 17 to this passage, uh, I want to borrow the first presupposition that we looked at last week. And that is this verse, like James 4, 17, presupposes that the people of God are committed to doing good. That's the basis of what Paul is addressing here as as he concludes his thoughts to the Thessalonian believers. Now, I know that in the course of our work through the book of James, we've had to repeat this over and over again, and it's important to repeat it for a number of reasons. One is because anytime we speak of grace uh, and talk about the fact that we are saved by grace and not by works and emphasize grace as being what uh, the means that drives us in our, uh, all of our living and covers us in all of our faults, there is someone who is going to say that we have undermined or we have uh, diminished somehow the importance of doing good or keeping God's law. And that is not the case. So I, as we have gone through the book of James, we've, we've undergirded it with Ephesians 2 clearly in mind. We are indeed saved by grace, uh, which is received through faith. And this is not of your own. But in Ephesians 2.10, we have been saved for good works, not by good works, but for good works. And so therefore, I will repeat for the umpteenth time, there is no such thing as a Christian who is not committed to doing the will of God. They don't exist. There are struggles and degrees to which we will do the will of God, but there is no such creature as a Christian who is not committed to keeping the law of God. They don't exist. So, so let's be clear on that, and that's what, that's what James, when he says that for the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, for them it is sin. And that statement rests on the fact that all of those who are called by grace into union with Christ is committed to doing good. P 
Peter or, 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 or Paul in the same vein is also undergirding everything that he is saying here on the presupposition that all of God's people are committed to doing good. So, so that's clear. So we, we, we don't want to, that's the connection and that's the bridge, this commitment to doing good. But here's the second thing. Last week, uh, we looked at James in the spirit of the context in which he was writing. And he's addressing the fact that there is, even in believing Christians, there is resistance to and rebellion against the good that we know we ought to do. So he, we, we addressed that, and that was the main emphasis. That was the main emphasis, emphasis of why we don't do good. Not that we are not committed to it, but even as the people of God, even as those who are saved by grace, we are at points for various reasons resistant to and rebellious against the good that is revealed to us and that we know we ought to do. And, of course, that, that, that steps on all of us, that, that rebukes us, it exposes us. But here's where, where, where Paul's emphasis is a little bit different. What Paul addresses here is not just that Christians resist or rebel against doing good. What Paul is addressing here is the fact that doing good in a fallen world can make the soul weary. That's, that's what Paul is addressing here, that doing good in a fallen world can make the soul weary. It can wear us out. Because the reality is that when we do good, even, even in, or I should say, especially among unbelievers, as we do good to our neighbors, the good that we do for them is not always appreciated. In fact, sometimes it's not even noticed. In fact, if you want to go a step further, sometimes the good that we do for our unbelieving neighbors is not only going to be not appreciated, but it may in fact cause them to react against us. All we have to do is look at the life of Jesus. All he did was good. And even though we know that it was the purposes of God for him to be persecuted and for him to be crucified, but the, the, the human reasons for him being crucified was because people, all he did was good. He never gossiped on anyone. He never lied on anyone. He never stabbed anyone in the back. He never stole from anyone. He never cheated anyone. All he did was good. And all it got him was arrested. All it got him was talked about. All it got him was scandal. So what, when, 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 when Paul says here, do not grow weary in doing good. He is reminding us that doing good in a fallen world is not always going to get you kudos. Doing good in a fallen world 
might in fact be met with resistance. Because sometimes people don't trust people who are not guilty with them. And so doing good, when we do good among our neighbors, it will not only oftentimes go unnoticed, but it will also be greatly resisted and resented. Brothers and sisters, even beyond that, sad as it may be, when we do good within the household of God, we also may meet with some of the same kind of resistance and some of the same sort of obstacles that we meet with in the world. Now, whatever the source of that resistance is, whether it's in the world or in the household of God, the end result is that it can make us weary. Paul is not saying necessarily that weariness will make you not do the good that you know you ought to do. He doesn't say it here, but when we couple this with what James says, For a person to know good, to know what is right, and then not do it. What is it that would cause us to not do it? Last week we focused on on our own rebellion for whatever reason. But this week, here's the reality. Sometimes we don't do the right thing or good because we have the muscle memory of being resisted and being opposed when all we did was good. And sometimes we are reluctant to do good because we have built into our thinking once bitten, twice shy. Fool me once, shame on me or shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Brothers and sisters, we all have experience, and especially in church. I was dealing, helping a brother a couple weeks ago who's dealing with some issues in church, and he said he just could not believe how vicious sometimes church folk can be. He says, wow, it's, you just, and and so sometimes we can know the right thing to do, but we think back five years ago, five, ten years ago, when we were eager to do good, and we got bludgeoned. Somehow we have made a resolve in our mind that'll never happen to me again. It's for this reason that Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good. Because if you allow your soul to be weighed down with the the, the, the things that you have suffered or the, the pain that has been inflicted when all you've tried to do is help someone, then that will somehow cause you to equate doing good, which we should seek to do good for the sake of good, you will somehow have some twisted memories of the pain that you experienced and doing good 
and see them as not being consistent. And therefore, we will sometimes draw back our hands from doing good because we've been burned. Now, brothers and sisters, we may not want to own that, but I think that's really the experience of many people. And so when when James says to know the right thing and not do it is sin. And when Paul says, do not grow weary in doing good, and you bring those two thoughts together. Sometimes we do not do good because we're too full of self. But sometimes the reason, the, the means by which we are too full of self is because we are too full of hurt. And so we bring, we exalt our pain and we exalt our scars over the scars of the one who died for us. And we somehow assume that the, the ill that we have experienced from the hand of others in trying to do good excuses us from doing good. And so Paul is not being preachy. And Paul is not saying that these things don't happen. In fact, I would argue that what Paul is presupposing is that doing good in a fallen world is weary to the soul. And the more good you try to do in this world, the more you are prone to be frustrated. I was sharing with someone a couple years ago, uh, radio station called, wanted to talk about situation of police shooting somewhere and and he wanted me to, to kind of address these situations. He says, well, let me put it to you this way. In 1965, before I turned seven years old, in Watts, California, a man, there, there was an outburst because the community was concerned that they were being overly policed and overly aggressive, uh, in an overly aggressive way. 1965. I said, in 1992, we had a riot, in, and, said, and that led to a riot. In 1992, we all saw a man being beaten. They say, well, he was a criminal. You had, you had restraints. And we saw this. And we saw it. We witnessed it. And therefore, because in 1965, there were no witnesses that, that the, per, the person that had been stopped was aggressively treated unnecessarily in 1992. We saw it, and those who did it were exonerated. I said, so here we are again. I said, wow. So, so at some point, number one, good should be done because it's good. Now, I said, now that doesn't explain any violence, any, any unnecessarily destructive behavior, but that explains it. And so here it is again, not in the 60s, not in the 70s, not in the 80s, not in the 90s, not even in the aughts, 
But here we are again, dealing with the same issues, and some people are responding the wrong way because they think that doing good hasn't helped. They think that trying to obey the law doesn't help. And so anytime you try to do good in a fallen world, don't be surprised when it wears out your soul. It's not right. We shouldn't be patient with it, but doing good is, and, and having it not appreciated is never an excuse for not doing good. Because doing good among fallen humans has a price, there's a price to pay. Remember what John says about Jesus being light? And he says, and, and those, and they didn't like him because he was light. And their deeds were dark. And therefore they pushed against him. Here's what Paul is bringing home. That when you try to do good for the sake of good, among unbelievers who do not know, they will resist it. And when you try to do good in the household of God, among others who are also stained by sin, Clicks and personalities and power trips are going to cause you to become weary. That's the point that Paul is making. That doing good is always good and it's always right. But it makes the soul weary. And so his exhortation is don't let doing good make your soul weary. Because if you're not careful, it can. But here's something else that we see that, that Paul seems to be addressing, and that is by acknowledging that doing good can be a source of growing weary, Paul is actually being used by God. He's being used by God who speaks to us in terms of law, black and white, but Paul is being used by God as a, as, as a, as a vessel, as a human vessel to communicate something that his do-gooders that have been saved by grace need to hear. Here's what we need to know. That our God, who has called us to doing good, is compassionate. And he knows that we grow weary in doing good. In other words, God is using Paul as a mouthpiece 
to say, yes, I've called you so that you can walk in the good, in the good works that have been prepared beforehand. But by Paul saying, don't grow weary, it's a way of us hearing God say, hearing God uh, express the fact that he knows that we grow weary. It is, if, it is as if God is saying through the apostle, I know your frustration from doing my will in this world. I know your frustration. I know how difficult it is to do my will in the midst of ravaging wolves. That's what Jesus says, I send you as sheep to the slaughter. I'm, I'm sending you. That's what he tells his, his apostles as he disperses them to cast out demons. And to, he says, I'm sending you as sheep among ravaging wolves. It's as if God is saying that I know that I'm telling you to do my will. In a, in, a, in a world that is full of resistance, I know how discouraging it can be. I know how discouraging it can be to do my will within the household of God, which for the time being is, be, is filled with, it, it includes sheep and goats. And I know how difficult it is to do my will in the house of God when for the time being, there is wheat and tares. And, in, and for the time being, there are mature and immature saints. I know how difficult it is for you in your weakness and in your mortality to fully grasp the big picture of my providence in this world. I know it is. I know it is. I know that every step forward seems like two step back. I know it is. I want you to know that at this moment, I still, still send you forth to do good. Whatever you see, whatever, whatever it is that you see from doing good, Whatever it is that you feel, whatever it is that you experience as you do good, here is my admonition to you, your God, as your God. Here's my admonition to you. Don't grow weary. Because ultimately, your good matters. You don't see it now. You don't always feel it now, but your good matters. Your good matters because it reflects my glory, and your good matter is, is important because it reflects my grace in this present moment. Now understand, your good is going to be scandalized, and underappreciated. But under, understand this, by and by, you will understand it. And also understand this, that your good that is not appreciated by the world in which you are living 
And that gets lost in the shuffle of everything else that's going on in this present moment. Your good will not only be better understood by you, but your good will ultimately be rewarded by me. And so through this human voice, in the midst of difficult and trying times, God is saying, don't let the experiences of doing good in an ungrateful world make you cynical. Don't let unappreciated good make you skeptical. Don't grow weary in doing good, which is to say don't stop doing good. You say, well, they don't understand that oh, good. They understand. No, don't stop doing good because the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it for them it's sin and it's sin even if that sin is because they grew weary and they refused to do good because they got too many knots upside of the head when they tried to do good Don't grow weary in doing good. And in the, the apostles' words, let us hear the words of the one who commissioned and called him. And be reminded that our God knows every frustration that we experience from doing good. It's not lost on him, not our pain, not our frustration, but he wants us to act out of his grace and not of, out of our discouragement. Here's the final thing. This verse is a reminder of our perpetual need for the gospel, not only for the salvation of our souls, but also as a refreshment for our souls as we serve him. And we need the gospel as a resource for our souls so that we can be strengthened in our service to him. Peter says, cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. So it's okay. Go to the Lord. When you feel that you have been overwhelmed by so much resistance and so little appreciation for doing good among the people who don't have an appreciation for it. Don't let that stop you from doing good. Go to the Lord and pour it out to him.
so that we are better equipped not just to do good, but to be resilient in it. David says, he restores my soul. And why does the soul need to be restored? Because brothers and sisters, in a world of conflict and corruption, the soul is easily distracted and the soul can be overwhelmed. It can be discouraged. And so David says what the shepherd does is he restores our soul. We were sharing in the back before we came out just the impact of certain individuals and, and the impact that people have had in our lives. And that void that you feel when the Lord calls them home before you. And you can feel weary. And you can feel alone. And you can feel frustrated. Because they were your rock. Because they meant so much. But brothers and sisters, Christ is our rock. And so we are reminded in even our seasons of weariness that the gospel that saves us is the same source that refreshes us. In two places, at least in the Psalms, the psalmist declares the fatness of your house satisfies me. The goods the, that of your house is what satisfies me. So when Paul says, don't grow weary, he's not saying, keep a stiff upper lip. He's not saying, man up. No, what he's saying is that you have a place where you can break down and you can be held. You can be put back together. Every time your little heart is broken because you've done good and it wasn't appreciated, you have a place where you can go back and you can be hugged by grace. And you can go right back into that mean old world and not morph into the world but continue to do good. David says that he restores my soul and in acknowledging that, that doing good in a fallen world can be weary to the soul of Christians it means to be hesitant or I should say, it, it, it can cause us, when we are not refreshed by grace, our discouragements can cause us to either be hesitant or negligent when it comes to doing good. And we can try to justify that because we can say, well, I did get burned that one time. And God brings us back into his presence 
so that we can be intentional. As he strengthens us, we can be intentional in going back out in the midst of unbelievers and believers alike in a world that's, that's, that's full of chaos and confusion. And in spite of it all, do good. And we would never let anyone by what they do against our good to cause us to reach a point where we're too weary to do good or that we are we we try to go through the motions of good but our hearts are jaded And the only thing that can fix a jaded heart is the same thing that can fix a sinful heart. And that is the grace of a God who's bigger than your moment. And he reminds us that I'm the Alpha and I'm the Omega. And there is nothing that takes place in my creation that is outside of my power or beyond my will. What I've saved you for is good works. Now, go and do good. And don't let your soul be overshadowed overshadowed with weariness so that what you do is out of joy to the Lord who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Brothers and sisters, the challenge is real. But so is the grace that fuels you. And so is the God who calls you. In James, to know and not do is lifted up as a great sin. So you say, what is it that would cause a Christian to know and not do? It's the experience of doing and not feeling like it matters. But it matters. It does matter. Therefore, Do not grow weary in doing good because good is of God and good is for the glory of God and good is not only the gift of God for our salvation 
but good will ultimately be rewarded by God. Do not grow weary. Amen. Let's pray.